everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the next hour here on WFMU Freeform Station of the Nation, live from Jersey City and the great state of New Jersey. And Happy New Year. Thanks for joining me on this first day of 2024. I also want to say welcome to my esteemed co-host this evening, station manager, Ken Friedman. Stash, Happy New Year. Hi, Mark. Same to you. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining me. This has become a bit of an uh, annual tradition. If you can believe it, this is the seventh year in a row that either the first or near the first tectonic show of the year, you and I have sat down here in Studio A and have had a conversation to start things off. Wow. It's an odd tradition. There's no reason for it. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I think the, the, there may not be a, a particular reason for it, but I, I can rationalize it and say this is a way for us to take a look at the year ahead by choosing a topic and saying, where are we right now in technology with whatever the topic is? And what do we think the year ahead is, is going to bring for this topic? Mm -hmm. And so we've, we've, I won't go through all the topics we've done in past years, but for this year, for tonight, you and I are going to be talking about neurotechnology because that is a, uh, a topic, a kind of technology that had a lot of news over the past year and is certainly going to have some news coming up this year. I mean, there's, there, we're at just the very beginning of what's going to happen with neurotech. And so this is a, this is a good idea for a topic uh, at, to, to set the stage for the year ahead. And um, I thought maybe, maybe we could just start with basics. What exactly is neurotechnology and you have some thoughts and I have some thoughts and I have a an audio clip I can play at some point as well um, for listeners if you want to take a look at some of the resources I've posted go to the playlist at wfmu.org and click playlist and comments and there's a bunch of stuff there um, much or all of which we're going to be Ken and I are going to be covering uh, during this conversation. But Ken, what would you like to say about neurotech to start us off? Well, I guess maybe the easiest way to think about it is that uh, big tech is very eager to plan out what comes after smartphones. Um, and there's been talk about, you know, how people are going to have a smartphone-like interface without having to carry around a smartphone. And there have already been several failed attempts at building it into eyeglasses. Uh, Google Glass, and I think Apple's ridiculous um, visor, uh, and the now, Vision Pro, and now uh, and now Meta has a new um, a pair of Ray Bans that do the same thing. Uh, but people have also been working for decades already on what are called BCIs, brain computer interfaces, um, and there's actually been a great deal of of work going on. Um, especially in the medical field. But I think, as uh, we all know, uh, there's applications for computers being implanted in people's brains or near their brains uh, that go well beyond the, 
the worthwhile medical applications. And, and the medical applications um, already exist. There's already, as you said on your playlist, 200,000 people who have either ear implants, cochlear implants, um, or some kind of interface to help them stave off seizures, such as in epilepsy and things like that. That's right. Uh, for post, just rolling back for a second, post phone technology, we should just say that this is one of the biggest ideas um, in Silicon Valley right now. What do we do, we being the, the big tech companies, what do we do for growth? Because people have their smartphones and while they replace them every so often, it's not the exponential growth that these companies uh, rely on to keep their stock prices growing. So they need a different kind of technology that is gonna give them growth, growth at any cost, exponential growth, and it's gotta be something beyond smartphones. And as you said, uh, there's, there's a bunch of attempts out there. I've covered the Apple Vision Pro. I did a whole show on this, and there's a link to it on the playlist. I did an interview with Paris Marks about the uh, Apple Vision Pro back in June on the June 19 show last year, 2023. Um, we can talk maybe a little bit later about the, face, the Facebook slash Ray-Ban surveillance glasses that are now out on the market. But I agree with you, Ken, that I think the, the um, more interesting, which is to say the more terrifying possibility for post-phone tech isn't surveillance glasses so much as it is um, giving people like Elon Musk access to our brains in which uh, they want to noodle around, read our thoughts, and allow us some way to control different systems through our brains. So that's the BCI. That's the brain-computer interface. And you would think that it's a horrifying prospect that nobody would take seriously, but au contraire, right. um, <laughs> there's lots of companies out there raising huge amounts of money uh, for brain-computer interfaces, and they're well underway. And uh, Elon Musk, uh, despite his horrific experiments with macaque monkeys and uh, having to euthanize dozens of them, I think, um, after implanting his, uh, his neurotech in their brains, uh, just got approval to start implanting these things in human beings. That's right. Too. There's a, there's a uh, link on the playlist to a Wired article from October 4 called How Neuralink Keeps Dead Monkey Photos Secret. Neuralink, of course, is Elon Musk's company that uh, creates these brain chips and wants to implant them in your brain, listener. And uh, this story tells uh, of the monkeys that you, Ken, were just describing. Uh, Neuralink worked with uh, University of California at Davis, which is a public university, to, uh, to em embed these chips in monkeys' brains. And some things went awry. There were some questions about whether all the proper pr protocols were being followed, if the, if the monkeys were being treated fairly. And I've seen, I've seen accounts on both sides. I've seen one journalistic account say, oh, the monkeys are being treated better than any other test animals I've ever seen. And then I see this Wired article, which uh, raises some pretty uh, gruesome questions about how the monkeys were treated. Whichever way it was, as you say, Ken, Musk wants, he, he doesn't want to stop at monkeys. He wants to put these chips in human brains. And we should just spend a moment about 
what Musk has, has said publicly his agenda is for brain chips. Because there are, as you said, there are a lot of companies out there that are creating chips for, for brains. And many of these companies are, if you believe what they say, they are purely for medical purposes, for people who are, let's say, who are paralyzed. Um, if you can put a chip in the brain that allows them to control a, uh, some sort of a, a keyboard or, or a, a, a virtual uh, language interface, it allows them to communicate in a way that they never have before. If, if that's where BCIs were headed, if that was the only place BCIs were headed, I would be completely 100% in favor of putting chips in the brains of people who are, are locked in, who need a way to communicate. I mean, who would be against helping those patients of those, uh, of those medical conditions communicate finally? But Musk at Neuralink has stated publicly that he is not primarily, he didn't say it this way, but through his words, you can tell that he's not primarily concerned with medical advance. He has said instead that he intends to create a, a melding of humans and AIs. Yeah, his money quote is that he wants to put a Fitbit into your skull. <laughs> That's actually an Elon Musk quote. And he wants to do it, he says, because AIs are about to take over the world and our best as a species of, of, of humanity, our, our, our best bet in order to survive the coming onslaught from runaway AI is for us to put AI, specifically his AI, in our brains. That's the only way humanity is going to succeed. So like so many big tech CEOs, he, he has the, 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 these grandiose statements about the end of the world and saving humanity, and only his product can help save humanity. I mean, it, I've, never, I've never seen another industry, Ken, where the leaders talk in such apocalyptic terms on a regular basis, that the, the world is coming to an end and only they and their silly product is the thing that's going to save humanity. And yet that's, that's what Musk has been saying for years now about Neuralink. And that's what, uh, that is what is at the heart of my skepticism and uh, unease about BCIs as they are created by tech companies that are not primarily medically focused in that the agenda is not uh, primarily to help patients who are suffering from some horrible condition, their agenda is to inhabit our minds in the same way that they have inhabited all other areas of our life and work with their surveillance capitalist platforms. There's a bunch of different companies uh, doing work on brain-computer interfaces, and Musk's Neuralink is one of them. And they use different technologies, and Neuralink's technology actually does, it's one of the few that actually does implant something directly into your brain. It has some kind of uh, interface that screws to the inside or the outside of your skull, uh, but then wires go directly into your brain. Um, a lot of these other companies are doing, are using technologies that place something near your brain, or uh, one of them uses a stent uh, inside a, an artery that's near your brain. Um, but Musk actually is implanting wires directly into monkeys' brains and has now 
uh, received permission to start doing the same with human beings. And reading the reports of what happened to these macaque monkeys uh, is really, just really horrifying. Obviously, any kind of animal research can be horrifying. Uh, but they're talking about monkeys that were yanking at the device, uh, pulling parts of their brain out. Um, I'm not even going to get into the weird behavior that these monkeys um, exhibited. Uh, and then there was, <clears throat> there was one uh, interview where they said it looked like the monkey's cerebral cortex had been, was in tatters. Oh, my gosh. Um, and despite all this, uh, they've done an amazing job at massaging the regulatory agencies that are supposed to look into this stuff. And they've received permission now to proceed with human trials. Well, and we should just say in passing at least that this is – Elon Musk is not just any tech CEO. He is um, arguably one of the most powerful individuals on the planet right now. Yeah. Because he, of course, is CEO of Tesla. He's CEO of SpaceX, which runs Starlink. Um, I think Starlink is really where he has an enormous amount of power. Exactly. And, so, and he, on his Twitter slash X feed, um, has boasted in the past about how powerful he is, saying, and I forget the exact wording, but something to the effect of there's nobody else in the world who has access to the communications of people all across the world as I do. And in fact, he has been um, very willing to play uh, his own brand of geopolitics by, uh, for example, withholding Starlink access from Ukrainian army forces when it was, uh, they were planning some sort of a raid that he didn't think was uh, appropriate to use Starlink for. And so he, by his one decision, he was able to change the course of the war in Ukraine. And he, his, his Starlink, I think he has several thousand satellites already orbiting the Earth, and he wants tens of thousands of satellites soon enough to be sent up by SpaceX uh, rockets. And that would give him just that much more power one person having that much power over global communication through these uh, through these orbiting satellites. So, if you if you take that uh, conception, that image of Musk as a self-styled geopolitical leader, a one-man uh, decider of of where the world goes, and you apply that to what's happening in Neuralink, that really is terrifying. What happens when Musk makes arbitrary unilateral decisions about what's going to be happening to the chips in people's brains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Musk claimed that the, uh, that the macaques that he was experimenting with were all terminally ill. They were all going to die anyway. They were all right. going to be euthanized anyway. anyway so. <laughs> and I think one of the articles that you posted on the playlist uh, contradicts that, that the, yeah. uh, the macaques were all healthy, they were all young, they actually had all survived a full year uh, before they even began receiving brain implants. Yeah, so the now let's talk about what Musk has boasted about that the monkeys could do. He has his company shared video of monkeys with the brain chips. It's really creepy looking. They have this wire coming out of this cord coming out of their skull 
that connects to some test rig computer, and it shows the monkey playing Pong, the video game Pong. Basically, the monkey, by thinking, can move the paddle up or down in order to, to hit the virtual ball, and that's supposed to be this amazing breakthrough that we're supposed to be really excited that, that Musk now has allowed monkeys um, at great cost to their physical health to play the video game Pong. Imagine what you could do when you have Musk's chip in your brain. I mean, they've, been, they've managed to do things like that with human beings for quite a while, yeah. haven't they? I mean, they've, they've worked with paraplegics and people who are paralyzed and uh, given them brain implant uh, interfaces where they can actually compose text and speech and all sorts of things. And there are, I think you mentioned, there are implants that help prevent seizures. And th there are a lot of um, types of cranial implants that are not about <laughs> controlling video games, but are helpful to people who have s certain conditions and need that. Again, what makes me nervous about Musk's uh, Neuralink actions is apart from what, how he may have treated those monkeys, is that his ultimate agenda is control. And he has said as much that he wants uh, humans, he wants humanity to meld with his AI system in order to, as he claims, be able to survive whatever is coming next. And how, how many times have we heard this from Silicon Valley leaders that AI is going to destroy everything. It's coming. You know, it's going to take over the power grid. It's going to take over the financial system unless, unless we, the big tech CEOs, are able to do whatever we want because we are the only people who can stop AI. And of course, <laughs> the AI systems that they're talking about are the ones that the big tech companies are themselves building. Uh, so it's a, it's a completely disingenuous argument, even if AI was about to go rogue, which I have trouble believing. But Musk's statements, just they, they, they don't seem believable. And, uh, and his, his behavior in his other companies does not make me confident about what's going to happen to people who get that chip. Yeah, two million Teslas were recalled a couple of weeks ago. Right, but no, nothing to worry about. I mean, the but actually, actually, the the recall it, it was in the press. They called it a recall, but it wasn't really a recall uh, because these two million uh, Tesla cars basically had to have their firmware updated, which was done remotely, right. uh, without any intervention from the owners. Tesla just went ahead and updated all the cars' firmware. But this automatically, was, and th that's what the recall was. That's what Tesla is saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's not a recall at all. And it was all <clears throat> keyed off of Musk's uh, outsized claims about what he calls full self-driving mode, which was not full self-driving mode at all, uh, and has led to a number of, of terrible accidents. Again, is this the guy that you want to put his <laughs> AI in your brain uh, in order to you know, somehow m meld yourself with, with the AI. I don't think so. We should also mention something about another approach by another big tech company, Ken, uh, which is Facebook slash Meta, which um, a few years ago bought a company called Control Labs, that's C-T-R-L Labs, which is a, a neurotechnology company. 
And the last I heard from Control Labs, I looked online in prep for this show, and I couldn't find very much except for some, uh, some coverage from a few years ago talking about a wristband that Meta wants to come out with. And the idea of this wristband is that your, your um, neural signals go and, as far as your uh, limbs and can be read by sensors that are they're placed on your wrist. And so rather than implanting a chip in your brain to read your brain signals, what Mark Zuckerberg w- wants to do is to in a way, read your, uh, your brain's intentions by putting a, a very precise monitor on your wrist. Um, Boz, this guy, Andrew Bosworth, who's, who's one of uh, Zuck's key lieutenants there at, at Facebook, has stated that he intends for users at some point to be able to use Facebook without using a keyboard or a mouse, just by using a brain-reading wrist monitor. There is another company, Ken, that I do not want any, any part of in, in putting uh, brain-reading sensors on my body. But I'm sure that people, there, there are fans out there who will line up to put on that wristband when it comes out. Oh, yeah. People, a lot of people are volunteering uh, to have the Musk Neuralink uh, brain implants put into them. People are lining up. They're crawling over each other to have him do it. And, and when Facebook comes out with this wristband, uh, which will be much, much less invasive, there will be how many more people will be lining up for that? Most of the technologies that I've read about actually are non-invasive. I think, they've, I think these companies are realizing uh, that there's an icky factor once you start talking about implanting things directly into people's brains. And it's apparently not even necessary uh, to get into the brain as long as you can get close to it. Because uh, brains also put out ultrasound, and that may be what the wristband is picking up. One of these companies is called Forest Neurotech uh, from L.A., and they're dealing only with ultrasound. Really? Yeah. Um, th- one thing I should point out is that a few months ago I had Nita Farahani on the show uh, talking about her new book, new as of last May, uh, the Battle for Your Brain, Defending the Right to Think Freely in the Age of Neurotechnology. And she gave a great overview of the kinds of signals that are thrown off by the brain and how they're being read by some of these devices. Um, should I play that that clip where she's giving the overview yeah. of these devices? That'll Let's hear from our resident expert, Nita Farhani. This is from the May 8, 2023 show on Tectonic when I asked Nita to walk us through some of the, uh, the, the current state of the art in neurotechnology. So what's already out there today are headsets that people are using that look like, they look sort of like a futuristic headband that you wear across the forehead. And they have electrodes that are in them, dry electrode sensors that pick up primarily electrical activity in the brain. So as you think, as you do a math problem, as you feel joy or uh, are bored, all of that is represented in brain states through firing of neurons and characteristic patterns that give off tiny electrical discharges that can be picked up by these sensors and decoded using software that's powered by machine learning algorithms and increasingly generative AI algorithms. And um, the idea 
primarily that these do right now, what they primarily provide right now is um, basic brain state information. Are you in a state of meditation? Is your mind wandering? Are you bored? Are you engaged? Um, can you improve your focus? There are also some devices already on the market that use um, something called functional near infrared spectroscopy. These also look the same. They're just a little headband you wear across the forehead. They beam infrared light through your brain to pick up uh, blood flow changes in your brain. Because as you do anything that you do, there is blood flowing into regions of your brain and out of regions of your brain using oxygen as um, a particular region of your brain is more active. And again, using software, that information is decoded. What's coming very rapidly in just the next few months are taking those brain sensors and putting them into multifunctional devices. And so I already have beta versions of earbuds that allow you to take conference calls and listen to music or listen to your favorite podcast or radio show like this one and have your brainwave activity that is being tracked at the same time. Similarly, headphones where the soft cups around your ears allow your brain activity to be picked up while you again, do all the things that you would do with headphones, watch your movie and have brainwave activity that's decoded. And then within a couple of years, um, Meta plans to introduce its multifunctional watch that has brain sensors that pick up brain activity as it goes from your brain down your arm to your wrist to enable you to start to use your brain activity as the way you interface with other technologies. So augmented reality, where you swipe or type using brain activity that's picked up as your intention to swipe or type rather than actually doing so. <laughs> okay, and that was me laughing at how dystopian that last example was. The Facebook watch is going to allow you to interface with other Facebook technology just by your mental intention. The existing Facebook watches? No, this, uh, the new the upcoming, new oh, the new and improved, okay. which uses the Control Labs brain reader in the wrist interface. Uh, so that's that's the state of the art right now. There's a lot of different signals coming off the brain. And the agenda of big tech, as always, is going to be to gather as much data as they can and to make it as intrusive and inescapable as possible. Um and it'll be interesting to see how they try to sell this with convenience or entertainment or some superficial benefit. Yeah, to... convenience. <laughs> I mean, we've already seen all these biometric uh, techniques that have been fully accepted by people uh, initially on the iPhone using your thumbprint uh, <laughs> as a self-identity mechanism and then replacing the thumbprint with just facial recognition, which I use on my own iPhone. And now Apple Pay and Amazon have both developed some kind of payment mechanism that works with uh, a palm reader. And my wife uses this. Uh, she, she has linked Apple Pay to her palm, and now she can pay for things just by waving her palm in front of a reader. And you pointed out that it's a terrible idea because once the uh, palm database is hacked, you can't change your palm. Yeah, they're going to send out a, a notice to everyone. Uh, uh, we're very sorry that it's been hacked. Uh, please uh, procure a new palm for yourself by next <laughs> week, and you can continue using just as conveniently as ever. I mean, it's, it's like um, 
you know, 23andMe, this, this genetic surveillance company where you're supposed to spit in the vial and mail it off to them, and they'll say, yeah. you're 18% Croatian or whatever, you know. <laughs> well, um, I've never been in favor of of people voluntarily giving up their DNA data to a Silicon Valley company because of the same, the same concern, not if and when they got hacked. Guess what happened about six weeks ago, Ken? 23andMe got hacked. Did it? Oh, yeah. I, miss, I missed that. Yeah, got hacked. And so there are, uh, there were jokes online about, you know, the same sort of thing. Oh, 23andMe sent out a press release saying, please uh, go get yourself a new uh, DNA strand and uh, we'll be back to business. I mean, what happens when these databases get hacked and, and it's your biometrics that, that gets leaked? How are you going to identify yourself uh, separate from someone who is is spoofing that in the future. Um, I just... Well, I, maybe the whole system will melt down at that point. Well, that'll be a wonderful thing to see, won't it? <laughs> I, I don't want to be around that's for That's the only positive <laughs> spin I can ever put on these things. I mean... Is, I, uh, in terms of AI, I take, uh, I take comfort in the idea of model collapse, that yes. as time goes by, AI is just going to get worse, worse and, and worse, worse because it keeps cannibalizing worse and worse versions of itself. Uh, and for something like this, yeah, if huge, if huge databases of biometric data get hacked, there really is nothing you can do except stop using the biometric data. But I'm, what I'm trying to do on this show is encourage people not to use the stuff in the first place so that ah, when it well, gets hacked, yeah. then their, their data isn't part of it. So if, if they don't use 23, if they don't wave their palm over the palm reader, then they still, they still have their biometric data. The problem is when we have these devices that surveil us without our consent. It's one thing if someone signs up for the palm reading and they know the risks. You know, if, the, if, you, if you calculate that the convenience is that important to you. But it's another thing when people get surveilled outside of their consent or even awareness, that's, that's what I talked about with Kashmir Hill a few weeks ago, uh, talking about her book on facial recognition. That link is also on the playlist at WFMU.org. A lot of these systems out there, you walk by these cameras, they're not just recording that someone walked by, they're actually identifying you, who you are, and, and pulling up your dossier as a result. The last thing in that interview, if people want to go back and listen uh, to the Kashmir Hill uh, interview, this was, uh, let me see what the actual date was. So listeners, if you missed this show, this was a fun interview. This is from October 30, uh, 2023. Her book is called Your Face Belongs to Us. And we go through this whole, it was a little bit like the conversation with Nita Farahani about the neurotechnology go through this whole list of the state of the art, everything that's going on with facial recognition is just getting more, more and more depressing. And in the last chapter of her book, and this is the last thing we talked about in the interview, she tells me about this new project that Clearview AI is, is working on internally. Clearview AI is this company that has this facial recognition app that, that uh, all sorts of police departments use across the US. And she said they have now created a um, smart glass rig, smart glasses, 
that use that can connect to the Clearview AI database. And so here's how it works. If you go to a restaurant and you're wearing the Clearview AI surveillance glasses, if you look at the person at the next table, the Clearview AI glasses, they'll use their camera to snap a picture of that person in real time, will feed that to the Clearview AI server, and then they will identify that to you through a small computer monitor you know, mo um, mounted on the inside of the glasses, beamed into your retina. So you can see an image of a little computer screen, and it says, the person you're sitting next to is Ken Friedman, station manager of WFMU. Here are photos of him everywhere on social media. Here's everything that we know about him, and here are his... Uh, family and close friends and uh, professional contacts, which you can then click into using the interface. Anything that that person says, if I'm, if I'm a stranger sitting next to you in a restaurant, Ken, anything that you say, I can now record. And I know, and then I can post online and I can say, guess who I was sitting next to? This guy, Ken Friedman, station manager of WFMU, listened to the recording of what he just said, and I also identified who he was having dinner with. So if, are, those, are these the Vizics? Vizics, yes. Vizics classes? Okay. Yes. And this is not, I want to be clear, this is not released, and there would be a, there would, at least at this moment, would be some legal obstacles to, uh, to the Clearview AI team releasing this to the public, but they're working on it. And you know that the other big tech companies are working on it as well. They want to get to the point where you can use their hardware, their surveillance hardware, to identify anyone and everyone in a restaurant, on a bus, on a subway, yeah. on the sidewalk, I, I, without I, their I, consent. I think a lot of us took comfort when Google put out the Google Glasses a number of years ago, and they were so ugly and also people objected to the idea of having these recording devices on people's heads. And that was a total failure. And, and all the other attempts that have come since um, have likewise been failures. But now Meta has a new pair of very fashionable looking Ray-Ban glasses. And you saw some in the field the other day, That's right? That's right. The very first time I've seen the, the Facebook Ray-Ban surveillance glasses in the wild. Uh, and you I, said they had lights on them? They, there's a light. It was an acquaintance of mine who was who had who was he was wearing them and they looked just like regular Ray-Bans. Uh, you wouldn't know until and I don't know if it was an I can't remember if it was an audible command or he pressed a button. He may have pressed a button on the uh, on the eyeglass frame and a light turned on. It might be it might be two lights. It would be easy enough to cover up or somehow obscure, but the lights indicated that it was recording. And so these, these Ray-Ban glasses have little cameras on the corners that are embedded on the corners of the glasses, and they record the video and audio of whatever the wearer can see. And so if you're in, if you're in view of Ray-Ban glasses that have a little light on and you're speaking, that immediately gets beamed up to Facebook to be rendered on their servers and held for all eternity and, and added to your dossier. I'm sure they do unspeakable things to that data. And those glasses are out there. I think they cost uh, 250, 300 bucks. Yeah, it's way less than that helmet. 
that uh, Meta tried to put out. Yeah, the Quest and and Meta keeps coming out with new versions of the of the Quest. Their VR. You helmet. have you have a picture of the uh, new Meta Ray Ban glasses on your playlist page. But what are they called? Are they just calling them Ray, Meta Ray Bans? They're, uh, gosh, what are they called? <clears throat> I think they are just called the Ray Ban yeah, smart Ray-Ban glasses. Yeah, Ray Ban Meta. Ray Ban. Yeah. There's a there's a photo of a full page uh, newspaper ad sent to me by listener Herb NYC. Thank you, Herb. And it shows, and I guess it is a button. It shows a woman t- touching the button on the on the frames. And um, yeah, it, the the tagline is the next generation of smart glasses. I think they're indicating that these aren't the Google glasses that failed in 2013. Right. These don't look geeky and bulky and and ridiculous. These, in fact, don't look like smart glasses at all, meaning you can fool people into thinking you're wearing normal glasses while actually you are recording everything they do and say. I mean, this is is a new advance uh, for Mark Zuckerberg to, uh, to intrude on our privacy yet further. It'll be really interesting to see if there's a backlash against these meta Ray-Bans the, the way there was a big backlash against the Google Glass ten, 10 years ago. There's, there's so far – the backlash for Google Glass started within 24 hours. The, the, the Google Glass launch was at the TED conference in I think it was February 2013. Mm-hmm. Within one day, people were pointing out the privacy risks of Google Glass – also how ridiculous they looked. But it was mainly, do you want to be recorded on the street in restaurants and bars? So immediately, bars were putting up signs saying, Google Glass is not allowed inside here. We'll throw you out. These Ray-Ban Facebook surveillance glasses have been announced and they have when did they When did they put these out? Because it's- Months ago. It was months ago? Months ago. It seems like they... And not a peep from anyone. It seems like it was a soft launch. It doesn't seem like they really went, you know, all guns blazing on trying to get PR for this, which might have been wise for, th- for them. I think, they're, I think they, have, they have gotten smart about not tripping the, the privacy warning wire too much. Yeah. Uh, and you said you were telling me before the show that these new Meta Ray-Ban smart glasses don't have... They don't have an, a Terminator-style interface uh, that you're looking through. I like, bl- and I think it, w- it sounded like you were describing <laughs> the Vizix glasses, um, that those do have that kind of interface. That's right. I think these are just um, just surveillance glasses in that they're Ray-Bans that have cameras and, microphone, and a microphone, much like your smartphone will have a camera and a microphone. So... In the end, it's not that different from holding up a smartphone, a surveillance phone, in order to, to take a video of whatever you see in front of you. And I'm sure that would be Facebook's rationalization. It's a tiny step from holding up a phone to actually pressing a button on the, on the surveillance gear that is mounted on your face. What's the big deal? But of course, it's, it's a much bigger difference for people who are not wearing the glasses because they they look at you and they see that you're wearing glasses so they don't think anything of it they're not going to notice that there's a tiny little white light on it so they don't know that they're being recorded whereas if you had one of the bulky surveillance phones jammed in their face they would know that you were that that you were you were being recorded 
but no, I don't think that there is a little computer monitor on the inside yet. I think this is another small step for Zuckerberg to see if he can build a market for this, uh, for this type of surveillance. And if so, he will then try to take the next step and the next step and the next step, so on, uh, in order to build as intrusive a uh, surveillance platform as he can that, as we said at the top of the show, will be something that gives him growth at any cost beyond smartphones. Yeah, they are, they are very crafty, Mark. They're, they're truly evil geniuses. Uh, they got me to go along with uh, facial recognition on my phone, and I can tell you exactly how it happened. Two phones ago, I have an iPhone, uh, I went along with the thumbprint uh, recognizer to, just for the convenience to save me from having to put in a password every time. Sure. Uh, and then when I got my new phone, I saw that it didn't have the thumbprint reader anymore. It only had facial recognition. And I was like, nope, that's it. Not going to not cross that line. And I lasted two days <laughs> uh, because it didn't offer me the thumbprint right. recognition at all. So it was forcing me if I if I opted out of facial recognition, then I had to go backwards. Go back to the password, right? To actually looking up my password because I have a different password for every damn site and uh, putting in the password. And I only made it 48 hours yeah. before I said, screw it, I'll just do the facial recognition. And that's what everyone's doing worldwide. Yeah. Uh, they, they're ratchet, these companies are ratcheting it up. So every step is a small step, but we have to see it in context of the full agenda um, that they're, they're eventually gonna take this away. The other thing uh, that I wanted to point out that's on the playlist, speaking of companies changing their policies, is that Cory Doctorow wrote something last month, December 12, 2023, called This is Literally Your Brain on Capitalism, in which he talked about a company that called Argus that uh, provides optical implants, basically bionic eyes to people that allow uh, blind people to see, which is a great advance. The only problem is the company got sold and the new owners, as Dr. O writes, aren't interested in maintaining the implants. So that's the end of the road for everyone with one of Argus's bionic eyes. Uh, the, they now have failing hardware permanently wired into their nervous systems. So basically, if you, if you get an implant, whether it's an eye implant or brain chip or something from a company that changes its policies, maybe it gets bought, maybe it turns pure evil, maybe Zuck takes it over, they change their terms and conditions, all of a sudden this thing that is inside your body now starts to operate or not operate at all uh, under these new corporate conditions, and as Dr. O says, literally your brain on capitalism. Yeah, that's an excellent point. So be careful, be careful what con so-called conveniences you allow into your body or, or even into your everyday, uh, everyday habits, because those can change, as you, as you saw, Ken, those can change. They can take away the thumbprint reader and say, well, now you've got to scan your face. Now you've got to scan your DNA. Now you've got to put it in your brain. Um, we just have 10 to 15 minutes left, Ken, and I, I wanted to make sure that we got to something that you mentioned to me before the show, which is some movies that cover this ground in a very entertaining way. And if nothing else, after these these... <laughs> 
somewhat um, depressing or terrifying revelations about where big tech wants to take their uh, their platforms inside our bodies, maybe we can at least have some fun watching movies that depict this future. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I saw a couple of movies recently over the holidays that went into um, advertising being inserted into people's dreams. Uh, one of them is a relatively new movie, Dream Scenario, starring the great Nicolas Cage. Uh, and uh, it's a sci-fi comedy uh, about Nicolas Cage's character, a, a dweeby college professor who all of a sudden everybody starts dreaming about him, everybody all over the entire world. So in that aspect, it's, it's lampooning internet celebrity. Doesn't um, everybody dream of Nick Cage already? <laughs> What's the difference? And initially, the dreams are very benign. Uh, in fact, it's sort of a metaphor for the idea that you can become internet famous for nothing at all because right. he's not doing anything in the dreams. He's just there right. watching whatever is happening. Uh, and he becomes a huge worldwide celebrity. Uh, and then the dreams take a dark turn. And uh, he starts attacking people and killing them and torturing them. And now he's a pariah. Uh, and in that way, it, it's lampooning the idea of Internet cancellation. Uh, and then at the very end of the movie, uh, when the whole thing ends, and I won't spoil how it ends, when people stop dreaming about him, uh, the technology is, is uh, back engineered, is reverse engineered. <laughs> and companies figure out how to allow people to get into one another's dreams. And of course, it becomes a huge boon for the advertising uh, industry. And you have these hilarious scenes with uh, what are called dreamfluencers. Great. You have these 20-year-olds 20, 20 talking about how cool it is if I can just get into your dream and show you a really awesome new drink. You know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, and then I saw another movie that miraculously also touched on the same terrain. Uh, this is a movie that came out a couple of years ago without a blip. I don't think many people noticed it. It's a really great movie. Uh, of the two, I think this one's the better one. It's called Strawberry Mansion. Uh, and it's about a future world where the government has learned how to tax people's dreams. And they send dream auditors, almost like IRS agents around, to audit people's dreams. You know, and if you're dreaming about a certain car, then you might get charged 10 cents for having the dream about that car and so on and so forth. And of course, because they can do this, everybody's dreams are full of uh, advertisements and uh, characters who are there only to spin certain products. and. That's a really, it's a really uh, entertaining movie, and it has a real homemade feel to it. The, the tech is kind of intentionally very low, lo-fi, low-tech. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's a really cool one. Um, speaking of the brain implants, uh, some of the articles that you and I have been looking over for this show <laughs> uh, reference a 1974 movie called Terminal Man, uh, which I have not seen, but now I, I, seen it. Now I really want to see it, which is about... Uh, a man who gets a brain implant, uh, which then forces him to go onto a psychotic rampage. Um, on on the topic of uh, dream scenario, we have a comment from listener Anne on the comment board who writes, when I went to watch dream scenario in Seattle, there were four WFMU listeners there, <laughs> including me. Two of them were a couple. They all self-identified when they saw my hat. So if you're going to go see a tech dystopian movie, make sure you wear your WFMU hat. Absolutely. You can, all, you can all sit together. 
Um, and speaking of terminal man and the idea of brain implants causing people to go onto psychotic rampages, there actually has already been research about some of the weird behavioral effects uh, that they're already that people are already observing by people who have brain implants already. Uh, and there was uh, an article here in uh, Business Insider by Evan Malmgren. Uh, from November 7th called How Brain Chips Can Change You. Is this on the playlist? I'll check. Malmgren. Okay. Uh, yes, it is. The insider yeah, piece. I how, thought you did How it'll change it. you. Yes, it is on. Uh, and it talks about um, one case in which a woman in her late 50s hurt herself while attempting to lift a pool table, <laughs> a very heavy pool table, which she thought that she could move on her own. And they, they describe this symptom as estrangement, re, uh, estrangement, <laughs> which is like you start thinking that you have powers which you don't uh, really have. And they talk about some other problems, other psychological problems uh, that, that come with having a brain implant. Another one is called decision paralysis. Uh, people feeling that they can't go out or decide what to eat without first consulting the device that shows what's going on uh, in their brain. Uh, and uh, some of the people who've had these devices experimentally implanted into themselves, uh, one person was quoted in the article as saying, you, go, you, go, you grow gradually into it and you get used to it. It becomes me. Yeah. Uh, and then when it's taken out, they, they get very upset, they feel lost, they feel depressed. Well, you know, that's, that's not that different from the reaction some people have when they lose access to, oh, their, yeah, to their smartphone. Phone. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's like, a, it's like an appendage. And when you take it away from them or when they don't have access. Uh, oh, or, some or, people go absolutely berserk. They go berserk. Yeah. It's, it's like a piece of me is missing. How do I? And that's, I think, uh, equally dangerous. If you think about how many people are glued to their phones all the time. This is even before we get to brain chips. And, the, yeah, the uh, Business Insider article also talks about um, extreme cases where people have attempted suicide because of the uh, effects, theoretically, I guess, or, or supposedly because of the effects of uh, their brain implant. Um, and that's just, that's just the psychological and mental effects. It doesn't even get into the uh, physical effects. That's right. And, of and, and, and m many of the companies that are experimenting with brain implants um, – what, what they do with human beings is they only put them in for a few hours yeah. uh, to, see, <laughs> to see how it goes. I, oh, there's a great money quote here. I have to, I have to read this one to you. This one is from uh, the Wired article, The Race to Put Brain Implants in People is Heating Up from uh, just a week ago or so by Emily Mullen. Um, and it talks about a New York-based company called Precision, Precision Neuroscience, which places its brain implants uh, in people for only 15 minutes. Uh, and only people who were already undergoing brain surgery for other reasons. Um, okay. So they're not doing the brain right. surgery. <laughs> yeah. Amazing that people agree to this. Yeah. But apparently they do. And uh, it talks about the, the great technology they have, which is they've developed a thin film array which is one-fifth the width of human hair, and it adheres to the surface of the brain. The technology is designed to be less invasive than implants. Penetrating arrays, here's the money, the money quote, yeah. penetrating arrays can cause inflammation and scarring of the brain tissue, 
which can lead to a loss of signal quality over time. <laughs> oh, no. Like, so they're That's not a, even talking right. about the danger right. to the person yeah. or, no. the, or their brain. It well, just leads to a bad signal. Right. Well, let's get our priorities straight. We want the technology to work. A bad signal would be terrible. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I want to give one movie recommendation, and maybe this will this we can wrap on this a few weeks ago i saw a documentary that i i think it has finished its run at the film forum uh on west Houston in manhattan but it, it it was called total trust and actually there were a couple of wfmu listeners there as well uh, who i who i saw there and was talking to but this this documentary called total trust showed footage from the surveillance state in China. And this is footage that people, human rights activists, somehow smuggled out of the country and to a, to a, uh, to a director who was able to put this documentary together. And it showed what happens when these surveillance technologies are taken to the nth degree, the completely intrusive and omnipresent and uh, watched and controlled by an all-powerful state apparatus. Um, anyone who does anything to question the party is immediately tracked and can be shut down. <clears throat> there was one of the through lines. They, they covered three different uh, people in the, in the documentary, and one of them was a young woman who was a blogger who simply wrote a couple of posts on her weblog about what was happening in Hong Kong a few, a few years ago with pro-democracy activists. She wasn't inciting revolution. She, wa she was simply writing a journalistic account of what was happening in Hong Kong, and she was shut down. And you find out at the end of the movie that she has disappeared into the, uh, into the prison system in, in China. It was a scary reminder of what can happen when surveillance platforms are used by parties, whether they're governmental or corporate, that have an extreme concentration of power and authoritarian tendencies. And if you can think of any actors in American corporate life or government life that are showing authoritarian tendencies and may want to make use of these new surveillance tools from, from Silicon Valley, you can imagine how 2024 might begin to unroll for us. So I would recommend that people do not get the brain chip. That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, and total trust sounds great. Um, I was just looking it up. Apparently it's, it's not showing at Film Forum anymore. And it's, it's not streaming yet either, but hopefully that's something. At some we, point. It'll probably start streaming in the next couple of months. And maybe we can get somebody from, from the film team to, to get on the show. Um, Ken, we got to wrap because Dave Mandel is coming up. He's got a show called It's Complicated. It's a prog rock show. And it's two hours, everybody. It's more Mandel than you can handle. <laughs> and I'm doing It's Complicated two weeks from tonight. You've, uh, I'm going back to my European prog roots. I love it. So I want everybody to stay tuned for Dave Mandel, who's going to be in. And then uh, Brother Daniel Blumen shows up with his eponymous show at 9 p.m. Eastern. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. 
Ken Friedman, thank you so much for starting off the year with Tectonic. Thank again. you, Mark, and thanks to all the listeners who chimed in. You've been listening to the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County, and 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. Until next time, friends, you know what to do. Avoid Apple, abandon Amazon, forget Facebook, and whatever you do, get off Google outro tonight, courtesy of Brother Bloomin'. It's a song called Simple. Confirm you are not a robot. But I am a robot. Confirm. You are a robot. Confirmation not accepted. Please try later. Hello. Hello. How much time do you have? You mean, how much time I want to spend talking to you? Yes. I have about six hours. Great. Where would you like to start? Let's start with something simple. Hello, greetings, and good evening, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of It's Complicated. I'm Dave Mandel, your host. I'm here every Monday, usually between the hours of 7 and 8 p.m. Tonight, a special two-hour edition of It's Complicated. That means I'll be here till 9 p.m. Very excited. Lots of music, including some even longer tracks than usual to fill the time. So, stick around. We're going to start with some Italian music, a track from a band called um, Locanda della Fate is their name, and that translates into English, I believe, as Fairy Inn, like I-N-N, Fairy Inn. And this will take us through the next 10 minutes or so. Hey, wait a second. That's more like it.
sempre quando il vento ancora si fermava un po' tra i miei capelli inventavo favole poi cadde giù ma avevo già le mani in tasca
Ready, man. 